0: Again, uh, we are finishing Luke chapter nine today. It's a privilege to be with you, and uh, I hope and trust that this has continued to be a beneficial study to you. I know, it, and sometimes it seems slow. You know, I look at the chapters and I'm like, man, it seems like I should be farther along now. But I think that uh, God has really taught me some things and. And show me some things that I definitely didn't notice before about this wonderful book, and uh, I'm thankful that God persuaded Luke uh, by His Holy Spirit to write it. And so, um, we're going to, like I said, we're willing to finish the chapter today. But, um, and this is uh, this is uh, Jesus teaching us. I titled this message, Jesus Teaches Us the Proper Response to Others. And the first point is, if they are not against us, they are for us. And I think that there's a lot of importance in this statement, because I think that a lot of times we as Christians, obviously we believe the right way. And anybody that believes something different from what we believe is wrong. That's our human response. Um, And I know that there are essentials and um, things that cannot be compromised. Paul said that if someone preaches to you another gospel, then that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures for your salvation, then he should be accursed. So we're not talking about somebody that believes something totally different in regards to salvation. But there are a lot of non-essentials in scripture where people disagree, and they can still be our brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they don't meet the way we do. And so I think it's very important to realize what Jesus says in these these first uh, few verses here in our passage today in Luke chapter 9. Let's uh, look at 49 to 52, starting out. All right, here we are. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said to him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So we have this situation where John uh, comes to Jesus and he says, we saw people casting out devil's in your name. And so we forbade him. Because he doesn't follow us. He's not one of the (laughs) twelve. And he says, what should we do? And Jesus says, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And I think that we need to remember that as believers that if someone is not against us, if they're not preaching against the gospel, if they are for the gospel, we need to be encouraged by that and encourage them, even if they don't uh, preach it or or do things in a way that we would do them. And I don't know much about um, these people uh, that went before Jesus, into a village of the Samaritans. We don't read much about them. But we know that he sent messengers before him to make ready for him. And it just kind of reminds me of what John the Baptist did, because John the Baptist was one that had gone before Jesus to make ready for him. And a couple of John the Baptist disciples actually went and followed Jesus after John pointed out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when John's disciples, some of John's disciples were like, Why aren't they following you anymore? They're following Jesus. What's going on? And John's response was, He must increase, and I must decrease. You see, it wasn't about John. Uh, John was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And he was, he was uh, very open about that. And, and in, in John's discouragement, he said, are, are, are we sure that this is Jesus who, who God sent? If he, that he's the chosen one, or do we look for someone else? And then uh, Jesus sent him back with this message. The lame are healed, the deaf hear. The blind see. And then John knew. John was encouraged. That Jesus was indeed the one. And even though John wasn't perfect. He had this testimony from Jesus mouth. That said there is no greater born of woman. Than John the Baptist. What a testimony. What an epitaph to have. But. But. This situation with the disciples also reminds me of another situation. And let's look at that by way of cross reverence. Numbers 11, 27 to 29. If someone has that, they may read it. Numbers 11, 27 to 29. This is dealing with Moses and the children of Israel. And I love Moses' response in this passage. Let's read it, and then we'll discuss it a little bit. Numbers 11, 27 to 29? Correct. And there (laughs) ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, And be as thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Again, it's not about Moses. Moses was called to leave the children of Israel, but it was about what God was doing. And Moses said, if God's going to work for someone else, let him work for someone else. It was never about what Moses did even as I come here to speak to you, my job is to encourage you, my job is to teach you, but my job is not to spoon-feed you. My hope is that as you listen to these sermons and as we dig into this book of Luke, that you are encouraged to then go and search the scriptures and see if my conclusions are sound. Because it's not about what I have to say. Yes, I've been given a message, but that message is from God. And where that message is, becomes my message, it's a wrong message. But as long as I have breath, my goal is to preach the Word of God as He intended it to be preached. And I love it when people come up to me after the message and give me insight on these passages that I did not have. So my goal, as I teach you, is to encourage you to be in the Word yourself. Be like the brand. They didn't just take what Paul said at face value and say, oh, you're Paul, so I'm going to believe what you said. No, they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. And any preacher that's worth his salt will want you to do that. Because it doesn't matter what I say, but it matters a great deal what God says. And I just wanted to share this, this story and it kind of goes to this idea of no one is better than anyone else in the kingdom of God. And it re- refers to the parable of the vineyard in Matthew 20. I would encourage you to look at that on your own time. But this is what uh, Robert Moore says. He says, the parable of the vineyard workers offers, offends our sense of fairness. Why should everyone get equal pay for unequal work? Back in Ontario, when the apples ripened, Mom would sit all seven of us down, Dad included, with pans and paring knives until the mountain of fruit was reduced to neat rows of filled canning jars. She never bothered keeping track of how much we did, though the younger ones had undoubtedly proved more of a nuisance than a help. Cut fingers, squabble over who got which pan, apple core fights, but when the job was done, the reward for everyone was the same the largest chocolate-dipped comb money could buy. A stickler might argue that it wasn't quite fair since the older ones actually peeled apples, but I can't remember anyone complaining about it. A family understands it operates under a different set of norms than a courtroom. In fact, when the store ran out of ice cream and my younger brother had to make do with a popsicle, we felt sorry for him despite his lack of productivity. He'd eaten all the apples he's peeled that day. Both of them. God wants all his children to enjoy the complete fullness of eternal life. No true child of God wants it any other way. The reality is that no matter who you are, whether you're the five-year-old who has a young child, trusted Christ, and has your whole life spread out before you to serve the Lord... Or whether you're that thief on the cross, hanging between life and death for a few brief moments, and you realize your need for a savior, and you come to a saving knowledge, and then you enter into paradise, you will be welcomed the same. And even in our even though in our human weakness sometimes we may say, well, Why do they get so much when I've served you so long? We we can all be guilty of that. The ultimate reality is that if we really think about it and we realize the terrors of hell, we would not want any of our friends or family to go through that. And whether they choose that on their deathbed at 80 or whether they choose it at five years old, we are grateful for it. And I've, I've said this before, but... As, as excited as I am for the coming of the Lord, and, and as much as it seems that the way our world is today is, is leading to the fact that His coming draweth nigh, there are people that I know and love that would be left behind if Jesus came back today. And so I ask in some days of desperation to, to, for Him to restrain His hand and to allow them more time to come to his saving knowledge, But the ultimate reality is that God knows his time. <clears throat> that no one knows the day or the hour. But that God knows the day or the hour. And it could be today or it could be 20 years from now. It could be 50 years from now or whatever. But even if it is 50 years from now, wouldn't you rather spend that time serving the king than serving yourself? Those are the only choices that we have. Those are the only choices that we have. As we move on to the next section of this passage in in Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9, 53 to 56 we will see this point underscored. God is always in control and He will work out His plan. Sometimes it seems like, God, are you really up there? Do you really care? Are you really active? Because if I were God, I would squish this person like a bug. And you're letting him stay alive and defy you. But then I'm drawn to the story of the Apostle Paul, and I'm thinking of the Christians in Acts chapter 8 who were probably like, Saul was sitting there holding Stephen's coats. Why don't you just squash him like a bug, God? And then, or holding the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen. But then in Acts chapter 9, halfway through the chapter, we, we see a change, Saul. One who changed so drastically that his name changed to Paul. Because he was no longer who he had been. Let's look at at Luke chapter 9 verse 53 to 56. And they did not receive him because his face was as low he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Remember, John was the one earlier in our passage who, who said, Lord, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he didn't follow us. And now he's saying, let's call down fire from heaven, because these people will not receive you. And Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit ye are. And I can't help but think that maybe Jesus was referring to that night not too long in the future when he said, This prophecy will be fulfilled. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Every single disciple forsook him and fled. Yes, John followed afar off. Yes, John was there at the cross, but there was still a part of him. A moment in time when he forsook the Lord and fled. All of them. So perhaps Jesus was simply saying to John, You're not any better than they are. Apart from my grace. And he says this in verse 56, which I love. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. A lot of times people look at the dogmatic biblical standard, the definite black and white biblical standard, and they say, that's the standard of someone that doesn't want us to have fun, doesn't want us to have enjoyment. Do you realize that every single one of the enjoyments that the world enjoys are enjoyments that were originally created by God and then Satan took them and distorted them? God made intimate union to be between a man and his wife. He made it to be a beautiful thing. He gave it as a precious gift. And he intends for us to use that gift in the manner in which he intended it. Why? Because when we don't, we see broken hearts and broken homes and broken people. We see people... That don't know how to live life because they're not being brought up by a mother and a father who can guide and direct them. We see children who were never encouraged by their fathers to grow up and become men, fathering children. It's a common saying, I don't know who originated it, but it says, Anyone can take a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. Only takes a couple moments in time to father a child. But in order to be a dad of a child, it takes a lifetime commitment. I'm so thankful for a dad that took his responsibility to be my dad. God gives good gifts. Jesus said to some people that were standing by, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? He's not trying to withhold things from you. Remember, he said in the Garden of Eden of Every tree in the garden you can surely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat. And what did Adam and Eve do? Because of the influence of the devil, they focused on the one tree that they couldn't eat, instead of however many trees there was that they could. We don't know the number, but I would venture to guess there were quite a few because of the creative God who we serve. When God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, he says it because he loves us. When God says that all life is sacred and that that killing an unborn child is wrong because before I formed you in the womb I knew you, he says it because he knows the heartache and pain that will follow. So many people say, especially in cases of things like rape and things of that nature, that abortion's a good fix. But if someone makes that choice, pain and sorrow will follow them for the rest of their life. And they will always ask, What if? When God gave us the Ten Commandments, He gave us them because He knew that we needed directions. Now we have more and more places in our country where we want to take out the Ten Commandments. And yet we have more public reports of shootings, even in churches, than we've ever had. Why? Because we've forgotten that man was made in the image of God. And we've told our children that men are just animals. They're just the top of the animal food chain. And we have to get the Ten Commandments out of the public square because for some reason looking at a list that says thou shall not kill is detrimental to society. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. He has a different economy of rich. But he does make rich. He does give us things. And we know that we can trust him. His goal is to save us. He made us. He has a purpose for us. And if we follow that purpose. We will be blessed. And the blessings that he gives are a lot greater than the blessings of this world. The blessings the world gives are temporary. You can be the greatest person ever in the eyes of the world. But you make one mistake. And nobody cares about you anymore. You make a mistake, you sin and you're in Jesus Christ, and he says, get up again. Bible says in Proverbs, the righteous man, falls seven times, and yet gets up again. Why? Because it's not in his own righteousness, it's in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who never did anything wrong. If we can look at James chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. James chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from that, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace see in this passage we see what the world offers contrasted with what God offers hmm. and it can be easy to look at people in the world and say, they have more than me. They have the full-time job I've wanted for my whole life. They have the wife and the children. I'm just speaking personally and frankly about my own struggles and desires. But we also read in the scriptures that... A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And so I would rather have no wife than rush ahead of God and choose someone that God didn't have in mind and live with the consequences of that. Abram's a good example because he had a promise from God. God said, you're going to have a son. He's going to be your heir and you're going to have descendants like the sand of the seashore for multitude. Ten years passes. Fifteen years. I don't know the exact time period. And Sarah still has no children. And there's a, there is a tradition where they were that if you didn't have children, you could have children by a maid, and if they bore them on your knees and you caught the baby, the baby... Would be considered yours. So she says, Go to my maidservant Hagar, have a child, and perhaps that is how I will have a child and you will have an heir. So he does. When Hagar realizes that she's pregnant with Abram's child, she despises Sarai. And Sarai says to Abram, which is kind of foolish, what what did you do to me? That that you allowed that you did this, even though it was her idea. But because of this, the Middle East has been a battleground to this day. The Israelites and the Ishmaelites have been fighting. To this day, the descendants of Abram are fighting. All because he jumped ahead of what God's plan was. That's something that Jesus never did. We just read in this passage that... And they did not receive him because his face went as though he would go to Jerusalem... There's another passage where it says he set his face as a flint. His disciples are all like, why would you go back to Jerusalem? They tried to kill you already. They're going to try to kill you again. And even though he told them three times, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again the third day. They didn't remember it until after he had risen. And then they remembered his words and then they wrote them down and they said this was our experience. You know, that's one of the things that I, I really think lends itself to the authenticity and the truthfulness of the Bible is Peter did not take out his flaws. He didn't say, well, you know, that was the old me and uh, I really don't want people to know about the old me. As a matter of fact, Many of you will believe that the primary source material for the gospel of Mark was Peter's first hand account to Mark of what Jesus did. And I believe in every single one of the gospels, you will see the denial of Peter. But you also see the redemption of Peter. How encouraging that should be to us. Hudson Taylor had definite convictions about how God's work should be done. We can make our best plans and try to carry them out in our own strength, or we can make careful plans and ask God to bless them. Yet another way of working is to begin with God to ask His plans and to offer ourselves to Him to carry out His purposes. Now, I do think that God does influence our plans. I don't think that just because we make a plan, we choose to make a plan, that 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 means that it's out of God's will because you know we didn't hear an audible voice from heaven. I think that he makes us with aptitudes and desires and he wants us to fulfill them, use them for his kingdom. I think sometimes a fallacy that we have in the Christian church is to say I was doing something that I loved and then I got saved and so I can have nothing to do with it because now I'm saved. Now that may be the case. But I also think that God made us, like I said, with different aptitudes and gifts. And it may be, uh, you know, that He just wants us to turn those gifts around, to use those exact gifts for Him. We need To keep that in mind. And then the third and final point of this morning. We must follow him wholeheartedly. Let's look at Luke 9, 57 to 62. And it came to pass as they went in the way. A certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go and bid farewell, bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. As I think about this passage, I'm reminded that God knows the hearts of man. So I think it's important that we underscore the necessity of the fact that God doesn't want us to throw our familial responsibilities out the window to serve him. And I've seen and read this happening multiple times. One good example is Billy Sunday. He was a great man of God. But almost all of his children went the way of the world. Because as he was busy traveling around the country, preaching the gospel, his own children fell through the cracks. The same God that said, he who looks back is not fit for the plow, also said, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord." So how do we interpret this passage? Well, this first guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever. And then Jesus lays out the stakes. He says, I don't have anywhere. The foxes and the birds have it better than I do. And we we don't read the response, but we can kind of infer from this passage that this man might have rethought things out. And left it there. And then this next gentleman, he says, follow me. And then he says, but Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And again, we need to get the whole picture. There's a passage elsewhere in the Gospels where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees because he says, you say of your money that it's a gift and that it's for God and then you don't care for your families. And he says, woe unto you hypocrites. While at the same time he's saying, let the dead bury their dead. Once again, I think he knows the heart of this man. And when I read this passage, I think of it this way that his father may very well have been in his mid-50s or 60s and been in perfectly good health, and he was thinking, 10 or 15 years down the road, when my father passes away, I will bury him, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their day. In other words, that will be taken care of. Just follow me. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go, bid them farewell, which are at my house. And Jesus said, I know no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once again, I think that he knew if that man went home, he would not come back. Again, we have to look at the whole picture. Because if you remember when when a... when Elijah came and found Elisha and he said, come with me. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will go with you. And he did. So I don't think God is saying, abandon your family relationships. What he is saying is, don't put them above me. But we get things very wrong if we say, God takes precedence over my family to such an extent that it doesn't matter if I had devotions with him today. It doesn't matter if I walked with my son and told him something from the Bible. It doesn't matter if I love my wife today because God is all that matters. But God told you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to give yourself for her. God told you to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are things God told you. If you don't want to do those things, then stay single. John Piper said this, We weren't meant to be somebody. We were meant to know somebody. Our goal in this world is not to make a name for ourselves, but to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known. Maybe to this point, your goal has been to be somebody, to have nice things, which again, in and of themselves are not wrong. But maybe you need to realign your goal and make it to know somebody, to know the King of Kings. In the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Not do you know about him. Not do you know that he died on the cross. Not even do you know that the Bible says that he rose again. But do you know him? Have you placed your faith and trust in him for your salvation? I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to follow him with your whole heart. I don't always hit that mark myself. I still have a lot of learning to do. But I know that if you trust God, he will open doors that you never knew were possible to be And that he will continue to bless you. You know, in the last year or so, I haven't even done a whole lot of job searching because I've come to a place of contentment that God is working out his plan in my life. I'm still open to having another job. Very open. But I know that if that's going to come, that God will guide and direct and he'll show me Where he wants me to apply and where he might want me to have a job. But until then, I will trust him. He has provided in so many ways. I can't tell you how exciting it's been, how exciting it was to watch God provide for every single penny of the trip that I just took. When I first had the vision to take this trip, I was like, how am I going to afford it? But I watched God work. I watched God work over just a few short months and provide that money. And not only that, He provided more than I needed because when my expenses went up, the money was still there. God's calling will never lack His resources. I pray with all my heart, that you will believe that and that you will put it into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We pray that we would all be dedicated to you and that we would put you first. That we would follow you wholeheartedly. That where we struggle with unbelief, you would help our unbelief that you would help us to do the things you call us to do, even when they're difficult. You didn't call us to an easy life, but you called us to a fulfilled life. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.